sounds great this afternoon, amen. Thank you for giving your heart to the Lord this afternoon singing. Let's uh, be opening up our Bible to uh, Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. We ain't messing around today. We're going to get right in the Bible. Revelation chapter 17. So great to have you if you're visiting with us. Maybe you don't know exactly what you walked into this afternoon. You're like, man, this, this group is crazy. They're excited. And it's absolutely true that we are excited about God and we are excited about God's Word. Revelation chapter 17, verse 3. The Bible says, Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. You ever, you ever been led by the spirit into a wilderness yeah. in your own life? <laughs> because there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with the abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. Wow. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, with the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. You know, right here we find that a revelation is given to the Apostle John. As John was exiled on the island of Patmos, we find that this particular vision is the vision of a prostitute riding on top of a beast. The prostitute, symbolic of the Roman Empire, and secondarily symbolic of the world. You with me? Yeah. That, that we live as Christians in a Babylon of sorts, a worldly place. The Bible says that on her head were... Uh, so, well, she had seven heads, and then she had ten horns on her head. These were symbolic of the Roman emperors. There were seven main emperors, and then there were three emperors that kind of went in and, and led for a short period of time. And so altogether, there were ten. Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, Nero, Vespasian, and Titus, and then Galba, Otho, and Vitellius. Come on, Amen. Wow. Come on, Nero. Come on, Nero. But, but right after those emperors came Domitian. Oh, yes. And Domitian unleashed one of the, the hardest, harshest, worst persecutions to ever occur in history against Christianity. And Revelation was written during that time. Christians were, at this time, being arrested. They were being killed. Their children were being captured and killed as well. And it was just hard to be a disciple. It was hard to be a Christian. You ever feel like that? Yeah. Man, it's just hard to be a Christian right now. Well, let's keep reading verse 7. Come on, Evan. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was... Now it's not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not yet been written in the book of life, from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast, because it once was, now it's not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. The beast who once was, and now is not, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seventh and is going to his destruction. The seven horns you saw are the ten kings who have not yet received the kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. 
They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the Lamb. But the Lamb will triumph over them because He is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. Come on, Lord. The title of our lesson this afternoon is The Call, Chosen, and Faithful. Wow. You know, God had a message for John. And I believe that God has a message for us even as a church in the 21st century. Yes, it's, it's hard to be a Christian. God gives uh, the world authority for a time. He makes it difficult for a time. But the Bible says that there will eventually be a war against the Lamb, a war against Jesus. But the Lamb will triumph over the worldly leadership, over the world itself, because He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And the Bible says that those with Him are His called, chosen, and faithful followers. You know, I want to read to you a story that I read recently. It's a, an old preacher story uh, called The Immovable Rock. Immovable Rock. It goes like this. One night a long time ago, there was a man who was sleeping in his cabin. Suddenly his room filled with light, and God appeared to him. The man was startled and afraid, but God began to speak to him. He said, I have some work for you to do. He took the man outside and showed him a gigantic boulder in front of his cabin. God said, hey, I want you to push against this rock with all of your might. The man obeyed, and he began pushing against that large rock. He pushed all day and then most of the night until he was too tired to continue. The next morning, he woke up early and began pushing against the rock once more. He pushed with all his might, but the rock still stood still. It didn't move. It didn't budge, even as he pushed with all of his strength. He did this day after day, night after night for years. He woke up early for the task that God had called him to take on. He pushed and he pushed, but the rock would not move. Eventually, the man began to get discouraged. He began to feel like he was just wasting his time, wasting his energy, and even wasting his life. Was the rock ever going to move? Did God want him to fail? Was his whole life going to revolve around pushing a rock, a rock that would never actually change or move? He started to grow tired of pushing the rock. He reasoned, why give all of my effort? What's the point? Maybe I'll just push a little. I'll do the minimum. I mean, I would still mostly be obeying God. He would quickly catch himself thinking like this, and then he would snap out of it. Ultimately, despite his exhaustion, he kept pushing against the rock as hard as he could. When the man reached his breaking point and couldn't take it any longer, he cried out to the Lord. Lord, I've worked hard, long, pushing against this rock. I put all my effort, all my strength into doing what you asked. And yet, after all this time, after all these years, I haven't moved the rock even a millimeter. Why haven't I been able to move the rock? What am I doing wrong? Why am I failing? With a gentle whisper, God's voice responded back. He said, my son, when I appeared to you long ago, I asked you to push against the rock with all your strength. Never once did I say to you that you had to move the rock. Mm. Your calling was to push. And now you cry out to me, tired and worn out, thinking that you have failed. But have you? Mm. You have faithfully done what I asked. You pushed the rock with all of your strength. And now look at you. Your arms and your back are strong. Your hands have become tough and callous. Your legs have become powerful and massive. By being faithful to my calling and pushing against that rock, you have become everything that I ever hoped you would be. Now I will move that rock. Yeah. 
I've got three points for us this afternoon. Our first point, here am I, send me. Our second point, here am I, stretch me. And our third point, here am I, strengthen me. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Here am I, send me. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. And I want to take some time looking at God's calling to three different individuals that we would consider the major prophets of the Old Testament. Hmm. You know, why are these guys considered the major prophets? Because they wrote more than everybody else. <laughs> and we're going to look at the calling of Isaiah, the calling of Jeremiah, and the calling of Ezekiel. Ooh. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Come on, bro. In the year that King Osiah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts po- door of the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. What to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man with unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew with me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. You know, this is incredible. Bob records that this was during the first year uh, that, that King Uzziah died. Well, we know historically that that was 740 B.C. And we find right here that God gives the prophet Isaiah a vision of God in his throne room. Can, can you imagine being brought into the throne room of God? And yet the Bible describes that as Isaiah was brought before the Lord, sitting on his throne, that above him were seraphim, each with six wings. You know, seraphim was a type of angels, or a type of angel. And in fact, in the Bible, there were several different types of angels that are mentioned throughout the scriptures. There are, number one, the archangels. Most of us are familiar with the archangels. And those were the messenger angels or even the warrior angels. And you hear of Michael, the archangel. Oh, yeah. And they could possibly even be leaders of other angels. Um, you've got to be a pretty cranking angel to lead other angels. Amen, guys? Wow. But then there were, there were the cherubim. Or you could say the cherubs. And the word cherubim is found 91 times in the Bible. And these were the angels that were put in charge of guarding sacred things. And so when God took Adam and and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, he put a cherubim there to guard the entrance to the Garden of Eden. Same thing with the altar of the most holy place in the temple. There was cherubim in there to guard the sacred things that God wanted them to guard. But then there were the seraphim, or the seraphs. Now in Hebrew, the word seraphim, literally means the fiery ones. Oh. Okay. Is that cranky? The fiery ones. Oh, yeah. And we've got some seraphim disciples in here as well. Come on, Nero. Come on, Nero. Now get this. The Bible says 
Well, actually, I was just in the Bible, but some scholars actually believe that the seraphim was the highest order of all the angels. Nice. And so here's Isaiah brought into the throne room of God. And God is on his throne. And around God's throne are these seraphim, these fiery spiritual beings. And the Bible says that they had six wings. They covered their faces with one wings. They covered their, the lower part with the other wings. And then they covered their feet with the, the third pair of wings. So of us should cover our feet a little bit more too. <laughs> and as he was looking at them and they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the Bible says that the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds, shook the temple and it was filled with smoke can you imagine just being there for a moment overwhelmed with the power the glory of god and those fiery angels you know i didn't forget in uh, 2008 we uh were traveling uh, to a conference and the week before the conference they had a staff meeting and so we joined in on the staff meeting in l.a and at this point, our movement was just a handful of churches. We were trying to figure out how we were going to evangelize the world. And this was before the Crown of Thorns project, before World Sector Leaders, before all those things that have been created further down the road. But in 2008, July 29th, we, we, we laid out a five-year plan for what God was going to do in five years. And then we prayed over the five-year plan. And I'll never forget this. Because this, this house was packed with disciples, packed with different leaders from around the world that were all about evangelizing the world. And as we prayed over that five-year plan, as soon as we said amen, there was an earthquake. Wow. And it was a 5.4 on the, the rector scale or whatever it's called, earthquake. Wow. One of the brothers goes, thank God it wasn't a 10-year plan. <laughs> <laughs> but it was such a powerful moment. Wow as we were dreaming and scheming together. And then it was almost as if God was giving us his approval by sending an earthquake to shake the earth. And we were reminded of Acts 4.31, where it says the place where they were meeting was shaken. Wow, the power of God. You know, Isaiah right here, coming face to face with God's greatness. He says, woe to me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And he was blown away. He was overwhelmed with all that God was there in front of him. But then he says in verse 8, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? And Isaiah answered back, Here am I, send me. What a heart. What a heart Isaiah had. Take me. Send me. Use me. Come on, bro. Come on, bro. You know, I remember counting the cost with Frank and Ashley. Oh. Come on. Come on, Frank the Tank. And, uh, you know, Frank is incredible. Ashley is incredible. Uh, of course, Ashley's the more social one. Frank's like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> and uh, we're counting the costs and making sure that they're ready uh, to get baptized. And now Frank is from Portugal. Mm. Ashley is Portuguese, but she mostly was from Canada. She's from here. And so as we were counting the costs with them, uh, we were just making sure that they're ready and ready to give up their entire lives to become disciples. 
And I shared with them that there's a church being planted in Portugal. And I said, hey, would you be ready to go to Portugal if you were asked to go? And Frank goes, oh, yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> I go, awesome, bro. And then Ashley just kind of got her head down and not, not really saying much. We go, Ashley, how do you feel? She goes, no. <laughs> no. Sounds like to me. I don't want to go. I mean, I, I've got a job here. I've got a life here. I've got lots of dreams here. I've got lots of things going on here. I don't want to go. <laughs> We talked for a little while, but it was apparent that, that Ashley was not quite there. Mm-hmm. But the here my send me attitude. She goes, okay, Frank, let's move forward with you. You're ready to go. Ashley, let's, let's work on your heart a little bit. Now, she went away and she prayed. And to her credit, she really prayed and got her heart behind it. She goes, okay, I'm ready to go. To- Well, come to find out the following week is that when we said, are you ready to go to Portugal? Ashley thought that we meant that she would have to go and lead the church in Portugal. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is awesome. You know, she got she got her heart surrendered to even leading the church. In Portugal. You see, at the end of the day, that's the heart that God wants us to have. Here am I! Send me! You know, so often we can have the heart of, Here am I! Please send someone else. (laughs) Go to Acts chapter 9. Here am I, send me. Acts chapter 9. Monty Gates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amen. No, no. In Acts chapter 9, God is, God is working in the life of Paul. Paul is on his way to Damascus to kill and arrest Christians. Oh, wow. Mm. God stops him on the way with a bright light, and, and all of a sudden, through just a few little words of Jesus, Paul wants to become a Christian. Wow. I mean, talk about a, a radical repentance when you go to Damascus to kill Christians and you end up becoming one. Wow. <laughs> well, here, God is now asking Ananias to go and help Paul become a disciple. Because everybody has to be made into a disciple by another disciple. You can't do it on your own. That's true. And so we find right here in chapter 9, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered. I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go! (laughs) This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Wow. Now here God comes to Ananias. He goes, I got this guy, Paul. He's all ready to go. I've already done all the hard work. I've, I've got him changed. He now knows that I'm real. He wants to repent. He wants to get baptized. I want you to go and I want you to help him get baptized. And Ananias goes, God, do you know who this guy is? <laughs> and he begins telling God all about Paul because apparently God doesn't know. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> And I love God's response. He doesn't just say, he doesn't just say, whatever, whatever that was. 
Like he says, go with an exclamation point. Yeah. Point. Jesus. Go! Yeah. <laughs> this man is my chosen instrument. Come on, bro. He goes, yeah, he's going to have to suffer. Holy. But I've got plans. Mm. Just go. You know, I think that that's the heart we've got to have as a church. Yeah. You know, I believe that no matter where you are as a disciple, no matter what city, no matter what circumstance, no matter what environment, there is always a way to bear fruit for God. Amen. You guys believe that? That's a great point. I mean, that's a church. As a church, we're all about bearing fruit spiritually. And I thought maybe I'd help you guys out a little bit. And I want to give you guys the secret to bearing fruit. Today. Okay. You guys want to be fruitful disciples? Yeah. Help us out, bro. You guys want the secret? Yeah. Please. I'm telling you, this is a secret. You guys ready for it? The secret could be your for three easy payment for $49. Tell me about it, Luke chapter 10. Come on, bro. Luke chapter 10. Three point, bro. The secret to being fruitful as a disciple. Let's do it. Here we go. Amen. Starting verse 1. says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go! I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Oh, that's encouraging. <laughs> by the way, don't take a purse, bag, sandals, or, or basically anything. <laughs> Just go. You know, I believe in this, this short little scripture. There, there is a three-step secret to bearing fruit. Okay. It's, it's amazing. It's incredible. Jesus just lays it out right here for us. Step number one, he goes, hey, you've got to believe that the harvest is plentiful. You've got to believe that there are people out there. You've got to believe that people want this. You've got to believe that when you share the message of the gospel... That there are going to be people that are so excited about it. Yeah. So ready to change and want to give their entire lives over to Jesus. Do you believe that as a church? Come on, bro. Come on, bro. No question, bro. You got faith. Nobody wants to go out there and share faith when you don't have faith. Mm. What are you going to share? That's nothing. nothing. <laughs> a bunch of air. You got to believe. A bunch of air. You got to believe that the harvest is plentiful. Number two, he, asked, he goes, ask the Lord the harvest. Step two. Just gotta ask. Oh, Simple, right? You gotta believe. Yeah. You, you gotta ask. Yeah. Now, I love this scripture. You gotta understand what's going on right here. Jesus goes, okay, guys, look. Let's let's come all together right here. He's got all his guys, his 72. And he goes, all right, guys, um, look, the, the harvest is plentiful. And you can imagine that all the disciples are like, really? That's awesome. All right, cool. We've been wondering if there's people out there that are open and are excited about this as we are. All right, cool. The harvest is plentiful. He goes, yeah, but there's a problem. The workers are few. Mm. Oh, no. Yeah, you're right. There's not that many of us. The workers are few, Jesus. He goes, yeah, you got to ask the Lord to send out workers into the harvest field. Okay, guys, so let's get together right now. And we're going to ask the Lord to send out workers into the harvest field. And so he gets together. Okay, guys, let's pray. God, please give us workers for the harvest field. 
And then they stop praying. I can imagine that Jesus goes, guys, guys, God has answered our prayer. What? What Who who are the workers? Who's God sending for the harvest field? And Jesus looks at them and he goes, go! He goes, you, you are the workers. You see, that's the last step. You just got to go. But you got to ask yourself, am I a here, am I send me disciple? Come on, bro. Or man, like Ananias, where I try to explain away everything to God. Mm. God, you don't understand where I work. God, Jesus, you know, the boss over here is someone spiritual. Always telling me what to do. That's the definition of a boss. <laughs> My professor, I mean, he's philosophy. I mean, these philosophers are all about philosophy and philosophizing, asking questions that don't really have any questions and answers. And the, just go. Yeah. <laughs> Just go. Yeah. Too simple. You know, I'll never forget. Kel and I, we 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 uh, we're leading a church in in a little old town Hilo in Hawaii. Oh, and uh, we had a, a group out there, a Bible talk, that had not been fruitful for years. Yeah. This was a group of marrieds, and this particular group of marrieds not only had not seen somebody baptized for years, but didn't even have a visitor for Bible talk in over a year and a half. Nice. Wow. I'm talking about not even one single visitor. In over a year and a half. Wow. You know stuff that started happening? They stopped believing that the harvest was plentiful. They stopped actually wanting to be at Bible talk because what's the point? Nobody's coming anyway. And so Ken and I took took over and go, okay, guys, look, we're going to have Bible talk. Are you sure, bro? Bible talk doesn't work and blah, blah, blah. I go, guys, we're going to have Bible talk. The first Bible talk, I didn't ask anybody to do anything. I go, Kelly, we're just going to go and we're going to get our own visitors for Bible talk. We shared our faith and worked all week. And our houses where we live were very spread out. So we went door to door down this road that just, you know, there's a house like every few hundred meters. And we, we covered as many houses as we could. And we ended up getting four people out to Bible talk that week. Wow. Come on. I mean, it was, the, the, the group was shocked. There are people here. <laughs> people have come. We go, yeah, they came. You know why they came? Because we invited them. <laughs> The next week, we did the same thing. We didn't ask them to do anything. We just went out and we just got our own visitors to Bible talk. They go, wow, this wasn't a fluke. Two weeks in a row, people came. We go, yeah, they came. You don't want to know why they came? Because we invited them. (laughs) Now, guess what? This week, you guys are going to do it. Oh, no. We started working with the Bible talk. And we started getting them involved and getting out there and just inviting people to Bible talk, inviting people to church, studying the Bible with people. And within one single year, that marriage Bible talk that hadn't seen a visitor at Bible talk in a year and a half had nine people baptized in a Christ. You see, at the end of the day, you just got to ask yourself when the Lord calls, do you have a here am I, send me response? My second point, here am I, stretch me. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. Come on, Evan. Come on, bro. Verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I mean, this is amazing. You know, here we find that God comes to the prophet Jeremiah in roughly around 620 B.C. And he goes, before I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, I knew you. You didn't know me, but I knew you. In fact, I, I knit you together in your mother's womb exactly how I wanted you to be. You know, this past week was so awesome. Uh, we got a chance to go out and hang out with uh, Logan and Shanine. And we finally got to meet Zuri and Zaria. They're, they're two precious little babies, the twins. And it's so incredible to just just watching watching Logan and Shanique working with Z Zuri and Zaria and just these two little small precious little babies. Mm -hmm. And Shanique shared that when she first went to the hospital, almost ready to give birth, the doctor told her that most likely the, the second baby, Zaria, wasn't gonna make it and that they should focus on the first one. <gasps> Shanique's response was, I came here with two babies, and I'm leaving here with two babies. Amen. Wow. And there's something about just looking at a little baby and going, wow, like, they're so young. They're untouched by life. And God has a special plan, a special purpose for them. And likewise, God has a special plan and a special purpose for every single person. Look at verse 6. Come on, Evan. Jeremiah says, Allah, sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. Ever feel like that when Lord calls you to do something? Come on, bro. Yeah. I can't do it, bro. I'm too young, too busy, too weak, too broke, too overwhelmed, too, 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 too. <laughs> you know, most likely Jeremiah was about 18 years old when God called him. Wow. 18 years old. Called him to go and preach against an entire nation. He writes in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 27. I think it makes much more sense when you understand how old he was when God called him. He said, It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Boom! It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Now, this past week I, I celebrated my 30th birthday. Hey! And, uh, and thank you so much for all the kind words that many of you shared and, and some of the gifts that you also shared with me as well. But, you know, I was just thinking about 38. You know, I was baptized when I was 18. Wow. So this is my 20th year, 20th birthday in the kingdom of God. I've been alive longer as a disciple than I was before I became a disciple. Wow. I can tell you, looking back in my life, in the last 20 years, wow, it, it is better to bear the yoke while we are young. Mm -hmm. yes. it, we get saved from so much mistakes, yeah. so much trouble, so much hardship. When we just choose to bear the yoke when we are young. And then we get to see God work in our lives in incredible ways that we never imagined that God would work. You know, very excitingly, uh, because of Kevin and Brittany going to Phoenix, uh, Kevin and I are going to get a chance to jump back into the campus ministry. Woo! And uh, we're not going to just come along. We're also bringing some extra firepower. We're going to have Dylan. Hey! 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 
by your power. Let me tell you, we've got some incredible young people. Yep. Some incredible disciples who are bearing the yoke while they were young. And like Jeremiah, they're being called to do incredible things for the Lord. Amen. Amen. Look at verse 7. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. So if you guys have been saying that, stop it. God says don't say that. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Amen. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I put words in your mouth. Wow. Isn't that awesome? You know, here at Jeremiah goes, I'm too young. I, I, I couldn't possibly do this. And God goes, Jeremiah, just stop saying that. Look, I'm going to go with you. And, and then he, he reaches out his hand and he just touches Jeremiah's mouth. That would have been so cool. The hand of God just. <laughs> and he goes, I'm going to put my words in your mouth and you're going to be a preacher of my word from now on. Come on. You see, God had to stretch Jeremiah's faith. Jeremiah didn't believe he could do it. It was too hard, too much, too challenging. And God goes, hey, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to stretch you a little bit, but you can do it. You know, it's a, a well-known fact that eagles, when they prepare their nest for their young, they, they put a lot of spiny-type, uncomfortable material, and then they cover it with some really comfortable stuff. And so when they, they have their eggs, they lay it in the really comfortable stuff, and then the, the chicks hatch and start to grow. And as they grow, the, the, the mama eagle starts to pick away the comfortable stuff from the nest. So that all that's left are these uncomfortable, little, sticky, pointy things. So that way the little eaglets are fired up to leave the nest and fly. Wow. You know, I believe that God is pulling the padding up from some of our lives. Oh. He's pulling the padding up from some of our lives. Trying to remove some of the comforts, the things that we've been relying on. Maybe you're, you've never known the kingdom without Kevin and Brittany being there. Oh. It's much bigger. And, and God's removed the little fluff of Kevin. Oh. Tossed him out into the nest in Phoenix. And Brittany, the real big fluff. <laughs> fluff of Brittany. All that comfort. Because Brittany's so loving, so encouraging, so kind, so fulfilling. Kevin, Kevin's the little fluff. <laughs> God takes them out and puts them out of the way, and now all that you're left is with this spiny, pokey little Evan and Kelly in the campus. Come on, bro. Come on, spiny. Maybe God's been putting you some financial challenges. Maybe you're having some challenges paying the bills. Well, hey, maybe it's just God removing the fluff from your life. So that you can learn to fly spiritually. Let's look at Jeremiah 12. Jeremiah chapter 12. You know, Jeremiah goes on to preach God's word. And in chapter 12, he makes a mistake that I often make. And he begins to complain. Oh. You know, sometimes and now it is. We go, we, we think that we're doing what God wants us to do because we're obeying what he wants us to do, but we do it with all the wrong attitudes. And Jeremiah was doing it, but he did it with a bad heart. He started complaining about it. And I love to complain. You guys relate to that? Yeah. Sometimes I'm all about doing what God wants, but sometimes I do it and I just complain the whole way. Oh, here we go again. 
Brother's moving. All right, I gotta get up early. Gotta go unload all the stuff. Move. Right. Yes, Lord, I'll do it, but I'm not gonna do it with a happy heart. Sweet. Well, Jeremiah starts complaining. And look at what God says in verse 5 right here. Jeremiah 12, 5. He says, If you have raced with men on foot and they've worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the joint? Because if you're having a hard time right now and you've got all that fluff in that eagle's nest, if you're barely making it in the fluff nest, Wait till I start pulling that, that fluff out. Let's see how you do. If you've raced with men on foot and they've worn you out, how could you compete with horses? Now, some of us go, oh, who said they wanted to compete with horses? <laughs> Racing with men is hard enough, bro. Which is okay with me. I just want to stay with the men level. I, I don't want to go up to the horsepower level. I just want to stay with the men level. But you missed the point. There's a deeper meaning to what he's saying right here. He goes on and he says, If you stumble in a safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? What does that mean? Go to Zechariah chapter 11. Zechariah chapter 11. In verse 3. Bible says, listen to the wail of the shepherds. Their rich pastures are destroyed. Listen to the roar of the lions. The lush thicket of the Jordan is ruined. What was in the thicket of the Jordan? The lions. That's where the lions hung out. And God goes, dude, if you're going to stumble in safe country, how are you going to make it when the lions come after you? See, this isn't about just how much do you want to achieve for the Lord. This is about whether or not you're going to actually even make it to heaven. Wow. Yeah, there it is. And if you stumble whenever God puts you through the small challenges, how are you going to make it through the tough challenges, the big challenges, the things that are coming? You see, we've got to say, here am I, stretch me. Come on, Evan. Finally, our last point. Here am I, strengthen me. Here am I, strengthen me. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel chapter 2. Come on, Evan. Come on, bro. See, I think God wants to do so many great things. I think God has such great plans for our church. And I think like Isaiah, like Jeremiah, and like Ezekiel, we are all in a way hearing God's call. And the question really is, how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond to the calling of God? Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 1. Right here, like Jeremiah and like Isaiah, God appears to Ezekiel. And the Bible records in chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, that, that God looked like glowing metal full of fire. I, mean, I think that uh, uh, Ezekiel was so blown away by what he saw, he didn't know how to describe it. He goes, I don't, I don't even have words for this. I mean, I mean, he kind of looks like glowing metal full of fire. It says that brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow on a rainy day, so was the radiance around God. You ever, you ever go out on a rainy day and see a beautiful rainbow? Yeah. You ever see that video with the double rainbow? Yeah. I mean, that guy was pretty blown away. Like Ezekiel was blown away. In chapter 1, verse 28, it says, When he saw it, he fell face down. 
He was so humble. He just fell to his knees. And then we find the scripture in chapter 2, verse 1. God said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet. <laughs> I mean, Ezekiel was blown away. He goes, this is overwhelming. He falls down and God goes, hey, stand back up. <laughs> See, sometimes we think that God wants us to fall down. And God's just like, dude, why are you down there? Get back up on your feet. Have you been struggling as a Christian? You've been on the ground. Oh, woe is me, God. I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know if I'll ever be able to do it. I've just been taking it spiritually. God's like, shut up. <laughs> Straight up. Come on. Stand up, dude. Yeah. That's why Jesus died for you. Get back up on your feet. Yeah. They're like, call him out. He says, as he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. Now, isn't that awesome? He goes, okay, Ezekiel, I can see that you don't have the strength to do it. Here's the Spirit. The Spirit, bring him back to his feet. And doesn't that how, isn't that what God has to do with us sometimes? When we're, we're down and out, we're just feeling weary and weak and tired. God puts the Spirit in our lives and raises us back to our feet. That is awesome. And I heard him speaking to me. He said, Son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. Then their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I'm sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. Isn't that amazing? You know, this is not a very encouraging calling for Ezekiel. <laughs> God goes, hey, Ezekiel, I've got a great mission team for you. I'm going to send you to, like, the most rebellious place ever. These people are, like, super rebellious. Like, some of us were rebellious when we were studying the Bible. Like Calio. He's hiding right now. Calio studied the Bible one time. He goes, no, I don't want this. It's true. Like, bro, I'm just asking you to, like, seek God with all your, all your heart. And he goes, no, I, I can't do this. This is too much. He walks away. And then a few months later, I ran into him on campus. And he goes, hey, 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 even, even, even. <laughs> I go, it, it's Evan. And I, I was trying to remember who he was, but I, I couldn't remember who he was exactly. I was like, hey, what's up, man? <laughs> and he goes, remember, I studied the Bible with you. And go, oh, yeah. Yeah. He goes, hey, uh, uh, you know, I know I, I walked away, but I, I want to get back into the Bible study. He came back, studied the Bible, repented, and was baptized. That's where Ezekiel was headed. He was headed to a bunch of Tim Callios. Because I'm sending you to a rebellious nation. They are obstinate and stubborn. And you're going to preach. And whether they listen or fail to listen, they're going to know that a prophet was there. You know, yesterday I was on Facebook and I happened to see a post that was just so encouraging. You know, I, I've... Uh, I've gotten to know a lot of different ministers through the years, and one particular minister used to disciple me, Kelly, and his name is Raul Mourinho. Yeah. And Raul has been a disciple for 24 years. He's reached out to his dad and his mom in that 24-year period over and over and over again. And up until just a few months ago, his dad had not been open. His dad had not been responsive to the prodding of Raul. Well, finally, uh, Raul's dad was basically on his deathbed. And finally, in a humbled state, Raul reached out to him again. 
And his dad was so moved, so blown away by Raul's example over the last 24 years, he, he ended up repenting and getting baptized in one single day. Wow. Amen. Wow. He died shortly after that, just a couple months later. But yesterday, I saw that Raul, after serving the ministry all over Latin America, after praying for 24 years, was able to baptize his mom into Christ. You see, for a long time, they were obstinate. They were rebellious. But they always knew that a prophet had been among them. And because they knew that a prophet had been there, when the time came for them to change, they were knew exactly where they needed to go. Amen? Yeah. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 4. Where's my bro? Come on, Evan. He then said to me, Son of man, go now to the people of Israel and speak my words to them. You're not being sent to a people of obscure speech and strange language, but to the people of Israel. Not to many peoples of obscure speech and strange language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I had sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the people of Israel that you that are, are not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen for me or to me. For all the Israelites are hardened and obstinate. Wow. Like Tim Kelly. But I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they are rebellious people. He goes, hey, Ezekiel, you got it. I know I'm sending you to a very rebellious and obstinate, hard-headed people, but guess what? I'm going to make you as hardened and obstinate as they are, but you're going to be a spiritual version of it. Amen. You see, essentially God goes, hey, I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to give you the power. I'm going to give you what you need in order for you to preach to these people. Here am I. Strengthen me. Wow. You know, in a sense, what God is saying is that a solution or the solution for hard-headed people are hard-headed preachers. And if we would only just say, here am I, strengthen me, and become the preachers that God wants us to be, to have a spiritual grit. Yeah. Where we don't waver, we don't get discouraged, yeah. we don't get down, yeah. we don't give up, we just keep on preaching the word of God, then people would eventually change and repent. Yeah. You go, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I can be that strong. You know, it's interesting as Ezekiel didn't start out that way. Yeah. Remember, he was on the ground. Yeah. God goes, dude, you gotta get up, man. He still didn't get up. He goes, okay, here's the spirit. The spirit lifted Ezekiel up. <laughs> And then God took Ezekiel in his weakened state and strengthened him. Yeah. Yeah. See, so often we think that we've got to get strong before we can be used by God. But go to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. We'll close here. 2 Chronicles 16. And this is going to give us our challenge for this, this evening. Oh, yeah. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. <laughs> the Bible says for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him See, that's all God wants you don't got to be strong before God uses you sometimes we think we've got to show up to church all strong and put together hmm Sometimes even when we visit a church, we can be overwhelmed. We're like, I'm not strong enough to be part of this church. 
I'm not strong enough to, to obey God. I'm not strong enough to be spiritual. I'm not strong enough to be a disciple. God goes, I know. You don't have to be strong. You just got to be committed. And if you can choose to be fully committed, giving your whole heart to the Lord, then the Bible says that God can and will strengthen you. You want to be strong as a disciple? You want to be used by God as a disciple? You want to do great things as a disciple? Hey, don't worry about getting strong and then letting God use you. Just get fully committed. Just get fully committed. And the Lord I put before you will make you strong. You see, we as a church have some big boulders to push this year. We've got some big boulders, and we've been trying to push these boulders for a long time. We want to see 30 people baptized into Christ this year. We want to get the church to 60 members sold out, disciples. We want to start a second region here in Toronto. We want to be able to appoint an evangelist and women's ministry leader. We want to raise $50,000 for missions contribution. But, bro, how are we going to do all that? It's too much. We're too weak. I'm not strong enough to do all that. We just got to get fully committed to the Lord. And when we get fully committed to the Lord, the Lord will give us strength. And so this evening, I want to ask you, how are you going to respond to the calling of God? Here am I, send me. Here am I, stretch me. And here am I, strengthen me. And to God be the glory. Amen. Amen.